Good morning, guys. How are you doing this morning? Hope you guys are doing well, enjoying the sunshine already. Uh, my name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here, and I am just super honored and excited to be bringing the Word of God to you guys this morning. Uh, if it's your first time with us this morning, welcome to ACF. We're so glad you took time out of your day to join us and be part of our family today. Uh, for those of you guys watching online, uh, we're so glad that you guys are tuning in too. I know so many of you are just traveling, part of our own family, but traveling in a way. So can we just welcome those guys? Uh, online watching us right now. Thank you guys for being here. Uh, so today we're going to be in Mark chapter 8. So if you have your Bibles, you can grab them, pull them out, turn there. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's one probably in a seat around you somewhere. You can grab that, pull it out, and use that today. Um, if you don't own a Bible, write your name in it, and now you do. That is uh, our gift to you. Uh, just take that with you. We also have our ACF Church app um, you're more than welcome to download, and it's got our notes from today in it. It's got past notes and past uh, sermons in it. Um, it also has a Bible part of it as well, so feel free to use that. So we are in a series called Rhetorical Questions, and what we've been doing is we've been walking through the Gospels, just looking at these questions that Jesus asked, uh, understanding that uh, when Jesus asks a question, he's not really looking for an answer as if he doesn't know it already. Uh, he's not looking to learn anything, but what he's looking for is for us to learn something and for us to discover the answer um, of the questions we sometimes don't even know we need to be asking. And so it's been an awesome series. I've, I've loved walking through this and being a part of this with you guys. And so today, I'm just going to, today's question is this, what does it profit a man? And so I'm going to ask you guys, if you would, just stand up, just in honor of God's word, uh, as I read Mark chapter 8, verse, uh, starting in verse 34, um, as we approach the scriptures this morning. And calling, <clears throat> excuse me, and calling the crowd to himself uh, with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Jesus, we ask that your word would speak to us this morning. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would reveal truth to our hearts, that we may be drawn to you, God, and continue in this journey of life, God, to, to pursue you, God, that we might look and act like you. God, we love you, and we honor you, and we glorify you this morning. In your name we pray, amen. You guys may be seated. So I don't know if you did this when you were a kid. I'm assuming you probably did. Most kids do this. But you, Christmas is coming up, your birthday's coming up, and, and there's just that gift that you have to have. Now, it's not every year that this happens, but usually a couple times in a kid's lifetime, there just comes around, you know, that gift, that Red Rider BB gun, right? That gift that is going to change your life. And maybe you like that Red Rider BB gun. It's a gift that you're not sure your parents are going to get for you. Maybe it's a little old for you. Maybe, you know, it's a little expensive, but you know you need this gift. And so what do you do is, is you, you begin to, to negotiate with your parents. Now, if you have children, you will know that children are terrible negotiators. They give up way too much, way too quickly. And uh, maybe you've said something like, Mom, Dad, if you get me this gift, what? You never have to get me another gift for at least 10 years, right? And as a parent, you're like, wow, 2027. I, I think that's a good deal. Like, 
That's actually saving money. And yeah, let, let's do it. No Christmas gifts, no birthday gifts for 10 years. Okay. But as a kid, you don't, you don't think that ahead. You just like you, you're negotiation mode and you negotiate this. And, and to your surprise, to your joy, you end up getting that gift, right? And this gift is, it's awesome. And it, it, and it's bringing you all the joy you thought it would bring you, you know, for about a week, you know, 10 days. And then all of a sudden you start thinking back to your negotiation tactics. Like, how firm are we on this 2027? Like, there are some other things I probably went, want when I get older. Did we get this notarized, mom and dad? Like, is there wiggle room in here? Or are you really going to hold fast to this? Because we realized this thing that was going to be the thing that fulfilled us forever didn't. I just, I've never met that, you know, 55, 60 year old guy. It's like, man, I got this when I was 10 years old and it has brought me joy for 45 years. It just, it doesn't, that's not the way it works. And, and, and that's where we, I think we're diving into today in what Jesus was actually kind of talking about when he talks about this scripture here. Now, before, before we get into this before we get into this scripture, I want us to understand something because I think there's a real key element here that Jesus is speaking to, but I think it's easy to miss if we don't, we don't call it out first. But before we do that, there's something we all need to understand in this room. Um, see, Jesus tells us this scripture. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought this before, or ever dawned on you before, but sometimes it feels like Jesus is talking like two sides of like a line or two sides of an argument. He says things like, come to me all who are weary and I'll give you rest, right? My, my burden is easy and my yoke is light. And then he says, now die, right? Like, how is this easy and light? Like, listen to this. Deny yourself, take up your cross, lose your life to save it. Sounds like a fun weekend, right? Like, how is this easy and light? How, how is this restful? You see, there's something that we need to understand first. Before we can understand this, there's something that we need to understand together um, in this room. And that is this. And this, this might be something that you've never thought of, you've never realized, or maybe you even disagree with. But it's my first point, and it is this. God's ultimate goal for you is not for pain, but for pleasure. Did you know that? God's ultimate goal for you is not for pain, but for pleasure. Even that word pleasure, like, are we allowed to say that in church? I, I don't know. Get a little squeamish. Ple- can't you say joy? Can't you say happiness, fulfillment? Why, why pleasure? Because like scripture uses pleasure. Now, I, I don't know if you've ever thought this. I know I've met several people that think this way. I have thought this way many times in my life. I, I've talked to people, right? And they're like, Josh, I'm a little nervous, a little worried. Like, what are you worried about? Things are going really well. What do you mean? My marriage is going really well. Kids are great. I love my job. So what's the problem? Well, you know, we got to suffer in life to honor God. So I'm just worried God's, you know, loading up that gun with, you know, loading up the chamber of misery and suffering and, you know, strife, and he's about to fire it my way. I think so often we see God this way, don't we, church? I know I do. Man, what a unfortunate way to see our God. And if this is how we see God, this is what we're, how we're broadcasting him to the world. Like God just wants you to suffer, right? But then we read scriptures like Psalm 16 and King David is 
writing and he says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. In your right hand, there is pleasures forevermore. Did you hear that? In God's right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. And let me let you in on another secret. He's not talking about after you die, right? Like I used to think that like, oh yeah, of course we find joy in God when I'm dead. Then that will make me, then I'll, then I'll be happy, right? But then when I die, then I'll be happy. I won't be going to this job anymore, right? When I die, I'll be happy. I won't have these kids and drive me crazy, right? We think this like once I die, then I can, no. Pleasures forevermore in your presence, fullness of joy. You see, this is what Jesus is talking about. This is what Jesus is talking about. Do you realize that? He is talking about us experiencing a joy and experiencing pleasure in life. And this is the formula for it. He lays it out for us. He lays it out for us. But before we can understand that, I want to jump backwards just like one and two verses. See, what happens right before Jesus teaches this is he's with his disciples, and, and I love this in Scripture. It talks that it says in Scripture that he plainly explains it to them. It's kind of one of the only times Jesus plainly explains something. And what he plainly explains is that he's about to die. He's like, okay, guys, we're going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be handed over to the Pharisees and the scribes. They're going to kill me, but it's okay because I'm going to raise again, and this is the plan. And I don't know if you've ever, you know, had a, some you know, information dropped on you and all you hear is the first three words, right? And then the rest is like, won't, 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 won't. This is the disciples, right? What do you mean you're going to die? No, 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 that's not happening. Peter grabs Jesus. I love this in scripture. I just relate to Peter. He, he puts his arm around Jesus and then it says that he rebukes Jesus. Can you imagine that? Like, Jesus, you're wrong and let me explain to you why. How often do we say that in our lives? Not me, right? Yeah, you liar. We do. Jesus, you are wrong, and let me explain to you why you're wrong. This is what Peter does. Peter's like, Jesus, I will not allow you to die. Jesus says this to Peter, a little harsh, right? Get behind me, Satan. We're not focusing on that. I know this is a crazy thing to say, and there's a lot of like, what did he mean by that? And it's an important part of scripture, and it's kind of a cool theological thing that Jesus is doing there. But the next thing Jesus says is this. He says, you're thinking like man. You need to think like God. Your thinking is man's thinking, Peter. You need God's thinking. And church, that's my call for us this morning, is let's try to get our minds aligned with the way God thinks, to truly understand this. Because when we hear verses like, come to me all who are weary, and I'll give you rest, and then we read verses like, take up your cross, die, like, there's a, there's a dichotomy there. Like, is Jesus not consistent? What, what's he talking about? And if there's an inconsistency, my guess is it's on us not on Jesus. And that's why we got to get our minds to think the way God thinks and not the way that we think. Because when we do that, what we're going to see today is this is actually a great thing Jesus is giving us. Not a great thing like, you know, eating Brussels sprouts because they're good for you and gross. Actually, I like them. They're pretty good barbecued. But, you know, but eat, doing that thing like, oh, no one likes to do this. It's miserable, but it's good for me. I get it, Josh. No, no, no. 
what I want us to see today is this is a great thing for us, and this will be our joy to do this. You see, what Jesus is talking about, all of this is, all of this is hanging on one thing. What's Jesus actually talking about here? If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, follow me. For if you want to save your life, you'll lose it. But if you want to lose your life for the sake of the gospel and for me, you'll save it. What's he talking about here? It's all hanging on this one thing, and it is this. If anyone would come after me, all of what Jesus is saying right here, and there's a lot packed in here, and we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna unpack it, but all of this has to do with anyone would come after me. Now, the question is, why would anybody come after Jesus? Why would anybody come after Jesus? If this is what it takes, why would anybody come after Jesus? This is why. Inside of all of humanity, there is this thing, this tendency. There is this thing that we're all born with, and that is this, is that we all, Christians, non-Christians, it doesn't matter who you are, we all are in pursuit of pleasure in our life. We are all in complete and absolute pursuit of pleasure in our lives. In fact, psychologists and sociologists would argue that every single decision you make is a decision for pleasure in your life. I mean, think about that. What do you want for dinner? I don't know, something I hate? Like, no. Pizza, of course. Like, and let me help, help it break down like this. Help me understand like this. It can look different for everybody. Let's take that there's two men. Each man are out of work and need a job. And here's a single job opportunity. The same job opportunity offered to both men. The first guy says no to the job. He turns it down. Why? Because he doesn't think he's going to like the boss. The work is not going to fulfill him. It's not something he's going to enjoy doing. And the pay is not enough to sustain the lifestyle that he wants to live. So this job will not bring him any pleasure. The second guy says yes to the job because he he does enjoy the boss. He loves the work. It will be filling to him. And the pay is at least a good start to help him live the lifestyle that he wants to live. And so he says yes. Again, it's, it's a choice of pleasure for themselves. In, in, in sociologists and psychologists would even say even as far as like self-harm is a pursuit of pleasure of trying to alleviate the pain you feel in your soul with pain in your body and therefore bringing yourself a sense of pleasure. So we are all people who are hard after pleasure in life. And, and the, the term for that is called hedonism, that we are all hedonists by nature. And I love people like Matt Chandler and John Piper. They've really kind of been pushing this lately, this idea that Christians should be the greatest hedonists on earth. Should be the greatest hedonists on earth. Why? Because we have the actual only source of any pleasure in life. In your right hand are pleasures forever more. So that is what Jesus is talking about. If anybody would come after me, what he's saying is if anybody would pursue pleasure, real pleasure, you would come after me. And, and talking to the crowd, they, they got this, right? Why were they coming after Jesus? Why were they following him? Because he might feed me. He might heal me. He, he's speaking some, some truths. He might kick Rome out. And I want to be a part of that. Like pleasure, pleasure, pleasure. And so Jesus is speaking to the very nature, the very core of humanity of seeking pleasure. And I believe that is a God-given thing that we all have. See, but the problem is this. The problem is this. Satan's greatest lie is that there are pleasures found outside of God. Satan's greatest lie is that there is pleasures found outside of God. 
started from the beginning. I mean, this has been his game plan from day one. Genesis 3. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of, eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was delightful to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. See, Satan tells Eve, not only is there pleasure found outside of God, but God is keeping you from it. There are these vast pleasures out there that God doesn't want you to have and they exist outside of him. So you need to seek it outside of him. See, the truth of the matter is there is only pleasure found in God. It's not like these pleasures versus those pleasures. It is that in his right hand are pleasures forevermore. And that, 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 is, that is it. There is not pleasures found outside of God. In fact, there was a man in Scripture, in the, in the Bible, uh, his name was Solomon, and he did a science experiment with his life. He wanted to know what truly actually really bought pleasure. And he, if you, if you don't know who he was, he's considered the wisest man to ever live, considered the richest man to ever live. So he had at his fingertips endless, infinite opportunity to seek as much pleasure wherever and whenever he wanted. And so he literally does a science experiment with his life and he records it in a book in the Bible called Ecclesiastes. He pursues anything that he thinks might bring pleasure. He pursues music, has the best musicians in all the world come and play the best music for him. He pursues art. The best artists come to paint him the most beautiful paintings. He, he pursues work. He builds cities. He builds an empire. He builds kingdoms. He pursues relationships. He, he knew everybody. I mean, he had kings and queens from all over the world coming to hang out with him. He pursued sex. He had 700 wives and concubines. I mean, that's a lot. That's a lot. I mean, he dove into everything, but I love this in Ecclesiastes. It talks about how he never lost his mind. In other words, he always remembered what he was about. I am trying to find what brings pleasure, what truly brings pleasure in life. In all of his ways, he held nothing back from himself. And just two verses in Ecclesiastes. The first one is this. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Okay, I think I get your point. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? In other words, all of this, it was completely worthless. It did not bring pleasure. If you think something will bring pleasure in your life, I guarantee you Solomon tried it and to a far greater degree than you ever have the means to try it. And this is what he says at the end of Ecclesiastes, very famous Bible verse. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near forth, which you say, I have no pleasure in them. In other words, Solomon's going, man, I tried everything 
and nothing brought me pleasure at the end of my life except for I remember being young. I remember serving a God. That was the only thing of everything that brought me pleasure. So when Jesus is talking, come after me. See, when we start thinking the way God thinks and stop thinking the way man thinks, what we do is we start going, oh, Jesus is giving us the formula to how to have pleasure in our life, how to have joy in our life. See, he says, this, this is the call. This is, this is, if you would come after me, then he gives us the formula. How do we come after Jesus? How do we come after Jesus? Well, he starts out by saying this. If you would come after me, then first of all, you must deny yourself. Okay, so the first step of pursuing pleasure in this world, fulfillment in this world, is to deny yourself. You see, to self-deny is to find pleasure in Christ. He says, self-deny is to find pleasure in Christ. So when you deny yourself, you are automatically saying yes to Jesus. You are automatically saying yes to following after Christ, coming after him. It's not like I deny myself this and then I pursue something else that. No, everything, anything that we would deny that is of self is the opposite of Christ. And so just to deny yourself is to, to search for pleasure in Christ. You see, uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but Christians, those who have said yes to Jesus, those who have been born again, those who have made God and Jesus the authority of their life, we have a dual nature. We have a dual nature. Scripture says that when you say yes to Jesus, that Jesus himself is now what is alive in you. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In, in, in Ezekiel, it talks about how God removes our heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh, and we are what the New Testament calls a new man. And that new man stands perfect before God. Stands perfect before God. It's called justification, that you stand before God perfect, and that new man cannot sin. That Christ alive in you does not sin. That new heart of flesh that you have does not sin. But there is still the old sinful nature that is still clinging on to your flesh. That right now we cannot get rid of, but we will shed one day. And Paul explains it like this. It is no longer I who sin, but the sin within me that sins. Again, it's that dual nature. My new nature, who I am in Christ, does not sin. But my old nature does. I remember hearing that when I was like in high school and being like, see, mom, not my fault. It's not me sinning. It's the sin within me that sins. Can't do nothing about it. No, we can. And this is what Jesus is talking about. You see, to deny ourselves is not just about saying no to ourself. It's not just about denying pleasures like, oh, I want to do this. Nope, not going to do it. It is not denial to the self. It is denial of ourself. Is denial of our human nature, our, our sinful nature that is clinging on to our flesh. It is denial of that. See, it's so much more than just, oh, I'm going to choose to follow Jesus today. I'm just going to grit my teeth. I'm going to no to that and yes to this. It is so much more than that. You see, Jesus goes on next and he says, so he says, deny yourself. Well, how, how do we do that? Well, this is how you deny yourself. You take up your cross. See, these two things right here, these are linked together. Those are linked together. You can't deny yourself without taking up your cross. It doesn't work that way. You see, and 
inside of us is our sinful nature and our sinful nature is screaming for attention. It is not just hanging out going, yeah, do what you want to do. I'll be out back here. You know, if you want to hang out with me, that's cool. We'll do some fun stuff. No, it is screaming for attention. The other day I hear screaming in my house. I'm downstairs. I go upstairs and my son's supposed to be taking a nap and he's just got the door cracked open. Ah! Just to let me know he's up. That's our sinful nature inside of us. It's his sinful nature inside of him. Right? Screaming for attention. It's not going to go away. And so what do we have to do is to kill it. It's not just, okay, ignore it. No, Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your cross. You see, and when he says, take up your cross, man, there was a gasp in the crowd when he said that. Because to them, that was real. That was in their face. We understand it today. They experienced it then. You see, I love this. Uh, what, what does it mean to take up your cross? Um, I read some stuff by John Piper, and he explains it like this. And so I want to I break this down. You see, the cross meant some things to these people that were standing around listening. It meant some things. And so when Jesus says, take up your cross, what he's saying is that you must have a willingness to embrace some things. And the first one is this. is opposition. You see, when you got crucified on a cross then, it meant you were in opposition with Rome. You were in opposition with their government. And so what did they do to their opposition? They crucified it. So when Jesus says, take up your cross, what he's saying is you need to be willing to embrace some opposition in your life. Now, he's not saying go pick a fight with your neighbor, go pick a fight with your wife. Need some opposition, honey. This is how we're going to do things around here. Let's fight about it. No, he's not saying that. What he says is, for my sake and the gospels. See, when we start pursuing Jesus, there will be opposition because there is a real enemy. And you need to be willing to embrace that, to pursue after Jesus. The next thing that the cross represented these people was this. Shame. Being crucified was a shameful thing. In fact, it was incredibly public. It was done on like major roadways. And typically you were crucified naked. So you were hanging there, dying, gasping for air as people walked to the marketplace. Incredibly shameful. Are you willing to embrace shame for the sake of the gospel? Not always happening to be right. Not always happening to be the one who's got it all together, but to be willing to open up and go, man, I, I don't have this all together. I need Jesus. Another thing that the cross represented to these people is this. Suffering. They got that, right? Like being crucified and that was painful and it was suffering. And Jesus says, take up your cross. Are you willing to allow yourself to suffer? And when I say that, I don't mean like, man, I stepped on a nail today. I'm suffering for Jesus, right? I just got done hiking Crow Pass yesterday. I'm suffering up here for Jesus. No, that's true, by the way, I did. And I am suffering right now. Um, no, it's not what he's talking about. Again, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of Jesus. Now, when we pursue after Christ opposition might come our way and are we willing to suffer for it or is it like eh that was that was fun now i'm gonna go do my own thing again 
And finally, the cross represented the ultimate thing, and that was de- this. Death. Death. You see, so what's Jesus talking about here? Is he saying, okay, we literally have to go and die to the crowd physically? Like, we got to be willing to go and just lay down, lay down our life and die? Well, yes, he was saying that because a lot of them probably did end up dying. But that's not his ultimate thing. He's not saying like, oh, you have to die on a cross to be a follower of Jesus. That's not what he's saying. We know that too because like not all even the disciples were killed for their faith. I mean, it wasn't all for lack of trying, but they just wouldn't die. But what's he saying? What he's saying is this is what we need to do to that old sinful nature. This is what we need to do to that old self. We need to kill it. We need to be in opposition of it. And, and, and it's, again, pursuing after Christ, pursuing after Jesus sometimes can bring shame. People don't get it. People don't appreciate it. It can bring suffering. Like, man, just say no to yourself. How many of you guys know that's suffering sometimes? Have you ever dieted before? Suffering. It's suffering to say no to yourself. And then, but the eventual goal is that we can put that old sinful nature to death. See, Jesus says, here's the thing. He says that if you lose your life, that you will save it. See, and this is what he's talking about. This is how you lose your life. By be willing to embrace opposition and shame and suffering and death for his sake and for the gospels. So what does the opposite of this look like? Because Jesus says, if you would try to save your life, then you will lose it. So what does it look like to save your life? Well, it looks the opposite. The opposite of opposition is acceptance. That you are in just pursuit of just being accepted. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be what God's calling me to be. I'm just gonna try to be accepted by everybody. Just wanna not rock the boat. Just let life come to me and just be accepted by everybody. The opposite of shame is glory for yourself. Are you in pursuit of glory? Are you in pursuit of like that this is what's gonna bring pleasure to my life when people recognize me for my work? When people look at me and see all the things I've accomplished, then it's all about me and what I've done and my glory. That is trying to save your life. The opposite of suffering is comfort. Are we in pursuit of comfort in our lives? And again, I'm not saying that, you know, if you have that lazy boy chair kick it back and relax. Yeah, you're out of God's will right now. You got to be suffering. Jesus wants us to suffer, remember? We talked about this. No. But what he's saying is, is sometimes when we're in pursuit of Jesus, it leads us outside of our comfort zone. It leads us to places where, hey, I didn't plan on being here in my life. I didn't plan to extend myself in this way or open my heart up to this people group or whatever it might be. And I don't know if I want to do that, Jesus, because that's uncomfortable. This is my box right here, Jesus. Just let's work in my box right here. This is my, this is my zone. Right? I got, I got Sunday morning. Got that nailed down until the fall. Football starts. But then I'll be back again after Super Bowl in in February. 
right? Like my comfort zone right here. Don't call me outside of my comfort zone, Jesus. Are we in pursuit of comfort? And then finally, the last one, the opposite of death is safety. That we're in pursuit of safety for ourselves, for our dreams. This is not safe for my dream, Jesus. You, I got plans. Like Peter putting his arm around Jesus. Let me explain something to you, Jesus. I'll tell you how it's going to be. No, see, this is how you lose your life at the end. This is how you try to save your life. He who would save his life by pursuing these things and not allowing this into your life. Again, it is not that, hey, you have to, if you're accepted by anybody, then you're in opposition to Jesus. No, that's not true either. Again, for the name and the sake of the gospel, for the name of Jesus, right? But if this is all you're ever pursuing in your life, all you're allowing in your life is acceptance and glory and comfort and safety, then what you're doing is you are attempting to save your life here on earth. But if you are open to and willing to embrace opposition, shame, suffering, and death, again, for the name of Jesus and for the sake of the gospel, that is how you lose your life to save it. And this, when we see, is when we start thinking like God thinks in the way of God and not in the way of man, what we see is this is the formula for true pleasure in our life. And this, all of a sudden, denying ourselves and taking up our cross becomes a joy for us. It becomes a joy to do that because what we're experiencing through this is real pleasure, real joy, real fulfillment in our lives. And again, it doesn't mean that you know, oh, if I find joy in fishing and not in Jesus, then no, no, no. Jesus is in fishing, okay? Just, you need to know that up front. You can find pleasure in fishing. You can find pleasure in, you know, it's not always sinful things that we try to seek pleasure in. Hear me out. It, it's not about that, but what it is, is trying to allow those things to fulfill your life. Like this is what it's all about. It is about the weekend, right? It is about this thing or that thing. And what we end up finding is those things, like the child who wants the gift so badly, they just end up being nothing, unfulfilling. You know, at, at best, at best, what you're left with is a great memory and something you strive for. Oh, that was an awesome fishing trip. Can't wait for the next one. And in between is just me working to be able to do the next one, right? Just this thing called life that happens until I get a really pursue the thing that I love to do. But again, at the end of it, you're left with, that was a good time. See, but when you pursue Christ, when you pursue Jesus and you find pleasure in him, true, real pleasure, not like, hey, no, Jesus, you find pleasure in him, just love Jesus and everything will be great. No, that's not what I'm saying. But when you find real, true pleasure in Jesus, all of a sudden you go on that fishing trip and you find yourself just worshiping God on the river because, man, God, you're magnificent and you fulfill me and, and Jesus is filling me, not fishing is filling me. And we find pleasure in Christ and in God. And see, again, the great lie is that there are pleasures found outside of God. And that perhaps God is keeping you from them. And the truth is, yes, you can find things that are enjoyable for a moment, for a season outside of God. It's funny, Satan always tells us about the pleasures, but he never tells us about the perils that go with them. He tells us about the pleasure, but he doesn't tell us about the peril. You see, he offers us something that 
that is opposite or, or, or similar at the same time to what God offers us. You see, when we deny ourselves, what we're doing is we're choosing the authentic over the synthetic. We're choosing the authentic over the synthetic. What is synthetic? It's oil. No, it's a type of oil. Synthetic is not in itself oil. What, what it is when something is synthetic is it's chemically made and it's made to imitate the natural. That's what synthetic is. Synthetic is something that is chemically made, made to imitate the natural. You see, and, and Satan offers his synthetic pleasures to this life. And God offers us this amazing thing that he intended, that he created us for, this natural. Let me read to you Galatians 5. This is what synthetic and authentic look like. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, dual nature. For, though, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. They are sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits, uh, where are we at? I lost my page here. Fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Simple list. But I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Synthetic and authentic. See, I want, to, I want us to understand this. I want us to break this down because, you know, the enemy, he offers us a synthetic option to what God offers us, a pursuit after Jesus or a pursuit after worldly desires. You see, what, what does he say? What is the synthetic things? Well, there's sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, right? This, this pursuit like Solomon had, like, a sex will fulfill me, relationships will fulfill me, just my desires, giving into them will fulfill me. What is, that's the synthetic. What is the authentic? The authentic is, is love. Is love, real love for one another. Godly love. Sacrificial love. What does he say next? Idolatry, sorcery. Basically what he's talking about there is religion of, of the day. That religion will, you know, fulfill me. Like if I just follow the rules, if I show up to church and, and I do read or, you know, whatever religion you pursue is fine for you to pursue it if it makes you happy and that's what's going to bring you pleasure. But what's the opposite of the synthetic? It's just joy. God's kingdom is a kingdom of righteousness, peace, and joy we read in Romans. That's actually part of God's kingdom, is a kingdom of joy. That is the authentic that God has for us. Synthetic. Eminency. What is eminency? It is the feeling that you are personally being opposed, right? Opposition. Where is the joy or pleasure in eminency? Man, there's joy and pleasure in crushing those that oppose you, right? Being on Facebook to let them know how right you are and how wrong they are, right? Well, what, what's the authentic version of that? 
peace. Scripture says is as best as you can have peace with everybody. Everybody, everybody? Yeah, everybody, everybody. Not just those who think like you, act like you, like the same things you do. Peace with everybody. Even cowboy fans. But I don't know if that's in there or not. But what's the synthetic? Strife. What's the authentic patience with each other? What's the synthetic jealousy? Just wanting, wanting, wanting what your neighbor has. What's, what's the authentic is kindness, serving your neighbor instead of just trying to have what they have. What's the synthetic fits of anger, just giving into your emotions. I feel this way, so I'm going to act this way. What's the authentic gentleness? What's the synthetic rivalries? What's the authentic goodness? What's the synthetic dissensions, divisions? Man, do we search for pleasure in dissension and division today? We are divided over everything, and I think we love it. We're divided politically. We're divided economically. We're divided racially. We're divided in our homes. For some reason, we become a nation and a people who love division. And it's, it's, well, I don't like this, so I'm leaving it. Like, you're my brother, but you think this way, we're divided now. Because I'm going to pursue what I want to pursue, and I'm going to think the way I want to think. I don't want to think the way you think. I don't want to see it the way you see it. And so we're going to divide over this. What's the authentic? Faithfulness. Faithfulness to each other. Faithfulness to serve each other. Faithfulness to be humble to each other. What's the synthetic drunkenness and orgies? What's he saying? He's just saying, just cutting loose, holding nothing back, no self-control. What's the authentic? Self-control. See, these are the synthetic things that the enemy offers and then the authentic things of God. And when we pursue Jesus, what we're doing is we're killing the flesh that just so badly wants the synthetic the flesh inside of you, that sinful nature, it wants nothing to do with the authentic. It only wants the synthetic. It's like your children and vegetables, right? Can I just have gummy bears? They're all fruit. No, they are not. We want the synthetic. And Jesus is saying, you can't, it's not enough just to say no. You have to kill it. But when you kill it, by killing it, you are pursuing me. And in pursuing me, you are going to find pleasures like you've never experienced before. Pleasures that I created for you and in you. How does that look? See, out of death comes life. Jesus says, those who would lose their life will find it. Out of death comes life. What does that look like on a practical level? I was listening to Chandler the other day and he was kind of talking about this and he explains it like this. And I love the way he explains it, so I'm going to explain it this way. Out of death comes life. Now, I don't know where you're at. If you're married, you're single, you're just too young to be married. But probably most people have seen a marriage in their life and they've looked at it and gone, I want that. I want that. One day when I get married, or I am married, and I want to work towards having my marriage look like that. Now, obviously, we understand that they're not perfect, but you see this something in the marriage that you want. And what you are seeing, honestly, is death. Because marriage is death. No, no, that's not what I'm saying. 
It's not what I'm saying. I love you, sweetheart, if you're watching. No, what, but what you are seeing is death. And let me explain it to you like this. Start with the husband. The husband is a godly man, and he sees his job as working for the Lord. And so he pours himself out every day to honor his boss, to honor his co-workers, to honor the Lord. He pours himself out. And now if you work that way, it's exhausting. And, and you come home and you are tired. And at this point, it is very easy to now want to save my life by doing what I want to do when I want to do it. And so I come home and I have two options now. I can now die to myself. I can kill my sinful nature and not pursue glory. Honey, do you know what I did at work today? I need you to now worship me, right? Comfort, safety. I'm just going to do what I want to do. No, what I do is that this dad, this, this marriage dad gets on the floor and he plays with the kids. He's killing this comfort that he just so badly wants to sit down and not, right? He serves his wife when he gets home, putting the kids to bed. He crawls into bed with his son. He crawls into bed with his daughter and he talks to them. He teaches them the ways of scripture. He, he asks them what their dreams are in life. He loves and he gets to know his kids. That is, that's death to self. And the wife does the same thing. She's working or she's at home and she's, she's serving her children. She's, her husband comes home and she's not like, okay, I'm out. You got the kids. That does happen from time to time. It's okay. But, but it's, hey, let's do this together. Let's work together. Let's serve each other and put death to self. And out of that comes this beautiful life. And we're attracted to that. We see that. You see, that's just one example, but... What Jesus is showing us is out of death comes life. And out of his death, obviously, comes our life first and foremost. But if we want to pursue real pleasure in this earth, if we want to come after Jesus, it's, he lays it out. Deny yourself. Deny that sinful man. Take up your cross. Kill it. Follow me. And then Jesus ends this whole thing with, with the question that he's already answered. Right? For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? It gains him, as Solomon found out, nothing. And in fact, it's not nothing. It's worse than nothing. Right? Solomon even said, man, remember God before you say, I don't even have pleasure anymore in my life. You gain death. That's what you gain. When you work to gain the whole world this way. So this morning, I just have a simple question for you. Is where are you seeking for pleasure in your life? Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that huh, we could take an honest look in our hearts. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would reveal our own hearts to ourselves. Sometimes, God, we have blind spots. We don't see them. Sometimes we know they're there and we ignore them. But God, I pray that you would allow us to see, God, where we've been trying to save our life. We've been working so hard to remain accepted by everybody. We've been working so hard to remain comfortable. We've been working so hard to remain safe. We've been working so hard for our own personal glory. God, and, and as we're doing it, we're missing it. We're, we're searching after something that will never at the end fulfill us. We're believing a lie that there is pleasures found outside of you. God, I pray that 
it would be our joy. We would find it our joy to deny ourselves, to take up our cross and follow after you. Because in that, I pray that as people begin to do that in their lives, that they would truly find pleasure and joy in their life, God that they would enter into your kingdom and experience your kingdom, God. So many Christians, I believe, today have not experienced your kingdom. They still think of you as the God that just wants them to suffer for the sake of suffering on this earth. But God, your kingdom is a kingdom of righteousness, peace, and joy. And I pray that as we follow you, pursue you, God, that that is what we would experience in our lives. We love you, Jesus. We glorify you this morning. We thank you that you would come and be with us this morning and speak to us through your word. In your name we pray, amen.